too. Yeah. In Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, I identify as an alcoholic and probably an addict because in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, that's the way we like it done. We like to identify one alcoholic to another alcoholic. So in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, I identify as an alcoholic and probably an addict because that's the way we like it done. See? Well, I'm a real alcoholic. I am a real alcoholic. Do not confuse me with anyone who ain't an alcoholic. I'm a real alcoholic, a total alcoholic. Everything about me is alcoholic. Everything I say, do, think and feel is alcoholic. See? It's not just a part of me alcoholic or a big part of me that ain't alcoholic. I'm all alcoholic, see? So consequently, I have the right to be dysfunctional in as many ways as I like. Don't tell me I'm restricted or limited. I'm a real alcoholic, and if there's dysfunction, I want more of it. See? So consequently, I get asked to speak in Narcotics Anonymous and Cocaine Anonymous and other anonymous programs. And when I identify in those programs, I identify as an addict and probably an alcoholic, <laughs> see? Because that's the way they like it done too, see? And I don't have a problem with that today, you know. Yeah. The truth is, you know, and I have to be truthful, I guess, because there's too many of you that know me, you know, friends, old friends like Debbie and Chris and, of course, my good friend Cl Glenn. Buy a tape, you know, he needs the dough, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Glenn K. Tapes and, and many others known over the years, you know, because when you stick around Alcoholics Anonymous to stay clean and sober over a long time, you get some history, you know, and we love that. So, uh, you know, if there's 12 steps attached to anything, I'm a contender for it, for Christ's sake. It don't matter what it is, you know, A-A-N-A-C-A, A-C-A, Overeaters, Little Peters, it don't matter what it is, you know. <laughs> It don't matter what it is, for crying out loud. Yeah, there's 12 steps attached to it, I'm a contender for it, you know. I have to, I have to be rigorously honest. I, I did go to one of them Little Peter meetings, but they wouldn't let me in, said I didn't qualify. <laughs> they let Glenn in, Glenn was all right. Glenn was all right. <laughs> you know, so, you know. Oh, I can tell we've got a right sick bunch here tonight, haven't we? Yeah. New York! I love New York. And you know, I came to New York on February the 1st, 1978. Seven, February the 1st, 1978, I arrived in, uh, in New York on the lamb. On the lamb from London. You know, I'm a limey lush and loady. Uh, this is the way I talk, folks. Alcohol never done this to me, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> you know, God. I got here, you know, I, I, got, I, I loved New York and I loved the uh, year I spent on the island before I got sober. I mean, I wasn't sober when I got here. I've thought about many things many times. One of the things that happened here that I talk about is, that, um, you know, high bottoms and low bottoms. You know, we talk about high-bottom drunks and low-bottom drunks and high-bottoms and low-bottoms and, you know, that's just the diseases. That's another ploy that the disease uses to try and make us separate, you know, and different 
so that it can get us to drink again. You know, it plants seeds that, look, you're not as bad as him. You know, look, he's, he's an alcoholic, you're not. You were just going through a rough patch or something like that, you know. But all that high bottoms and low bottoms crap, I, I can tell you just a very simple story that, that puts that in perspective. Yeah. I've been a lot of places and done a lot of things and, you know, one, a couple of the things I've done is I've been to uh, Buckingham Palace. Twice I've been to Buckingham Palace. You know, and twice I do what I do and get loaded and puked on the Queen's lawn, you know. <laughs> Went to a, a party at Buckingham Palace and, and uh, got loaded and puked on the Queen's lawn. Because I'm a puker. Any other pukers here? <laughs> you know? And the rest of you lying mothers. I know pukers when I say, you know. Yeah, so I go to a garden party at Buckingham Palace twice. Not once, twice. <laughs> Puked on the Queen's lawn, like that, right there. Well, when I came over here to New York in, on, on February the 1st, 1978, I was um, seeing a girl there. She, uh, she was a backup singer for Tom Jones at the time, and uh, her mum and, and family lived in Jamaica, Jamaica, Queens, right? So, of course, we get together and we get loaded and... Her mum and dad is in the summer having a barbecue, so we go out to their house in Jamaica, uh, Jamaica, Queens, and uh, guess what? <laughs> I do what I do, and I puked on her mum's lawn too, see? <laughs> so I've puked on the Queen's lawn, and I've puked on a lawn in Queens. It didn't matter where the hell I was, for Christ's sake. <laughs> All that high-bottom, low-bottom crap, you know. This disease don't know or care where we are, you know. A good friend of mine in the program, he's, uh, he planted the American flag on the moon, you know. And I don't know how high you want to get, but that seems pretty high to me, you know. And uh, <laughs> I asked him, as a matter of fact, I said to him, hey, when you, when you were up there planting the flag, I said, did you think to look back to Earth and think, wow, I'm a long way from a drink? You know, he said, no, I never even thought about it. I said, must be a chicken shit alcoholic. I would have done. That's a long way, isn't it? You know. But anyway, so all that high bottom, low bottom stuff ain't, ain't, ain't got no truck with us. And I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here doing what I'm doing. You know, last night wasn't such a bad all deal. I got stuck in Columbus and, you know, it was a drag. It was like uh, just a pain in the ass is what it was. But it, I was thinking about it. You know, I was in a nice hotel later on and I was in an aeroplane going somewhere, people waiting for me, you know. It was uh, not nearly as bad as it used to be when I was drinking and drugging with nobody waiting for me and nowhere to go and hanging out in all the hovels and dives that I ended up in. Because you know? I, I guess like you, I ended up at 40 years of age, broke, busted, disgusted and not to be trusted you know, spending money that I'd leached off my disabled old mum, you know. I mean, it was January the 15th, 1983, and uh, I was walking around with less than $10 in my pocket, which was money I'd leached off my mum, you know, to get me over Christmas and the New Year. I hadn't even borrowed it from her honourably. You know, sons can usually get round their mums and, and, you know, I'd leached this money. And she's a, a registered disabled, my old mum, you know. So that's not very cool, is it? You know, walking around Hollywood trying to look cool. I was so bloody cool. I was 
practically freezing to death, you know. My mum's all right. I tell stories about me mum, you know, she's fine. She's a cantankerous old biddy now. You know, I feel like hitting her with a bat some of the times, you know what I mean? Her and the bloody cat, you know. And, uh, you know, I go home to see her. I was home to see her like a little while ago. I go home every, every year to see me old mum, you know, and uh, every year, no matter what year it is, I walk in my mum's house. I say, Mum, I'm 19 years sober. She says, so is the cat. <laughs> she don't give me no pat on the back for not doing something I shouldn't have done anyway. But you know, she don't relate to this disease. She don't know nothing about this disease. She don't know nothing about alcoholism and all that. She knows and, and, and pleasures from the fact that I'm not being locked up and incarcerated and, and destitute like I was for many years that she, um, she hurt over. You know, um, you know, she tells me, you'll have to send me some tapes. She says, you haven't sent me any tapes for a little while, so I'll have to get some tapes off of Glenn and send her a tape. She ain't got CDs yet. You know, I think it was uh, a long time after phones come out that before she even got a phone. She's like behind in that. But she's got a little tape player. She says, come on, you've got to send me some more tapes. See, all the old girls like to uh, hear, hear about you, what you're doing, what you're... So I'll send her a tape of here in New York, you know. And... Uh, you know, she says, all the old girls tell me, tell us some more stories about Mickey in America, Mary. Tell us how Mickey's doing, where is he, what's he doing? Come on, tell us some more stories. And, she, and her chest goes out and she, she brags about me because that's what old folk do, don't they? They sit around and tell lies. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and they're entitled, don't they? You know, and, uh, you know, it's just such a gift to know that she's not shamed by me anymore. She doesn't have to... Uh, you know, cry and hurt like she used to. You know, because her, her friends never used to say to her, tell her some more stories about Mickey in America, Mary. You know, they used to say things like, they're going to let your Mickey out the nut ward for Christmas this year, Mary, you know. Because, <laughs> you know, she's, uh, she's hurt for many years and I didn't know about all that stuff I didn't know how to appreciate anything I didn't know anything about love or anything like that in the grips of the disease you know? it's funny you know because um, on her mantelpiece she's got in a glass fronted uh, cabinet uh, the stars and stripes the American stars and stripes and um, you know you guys sent that to her um, well from Washington DC you know it's kind of like one of her prized possessions. It's in, on the mantelpiece in her little house. And, um, you know, it's a little glass-fronted uh, triangular-shaped cabinet. And on the front of it, it's got a brass plaque. And it says, uh, this flag flew over America to celebrate Mickey Bush's birthday. You know, and, and she's got it there, pride of place. And, and she's proud as punch of that. And uh, she brags about me to her friends and family and that. You guys sent her that. Well... Washington, because uh, I've been to Washington a couple of times. I was there recently, you know. Going to go again next week. I've been to the White House a couple of times. Didn't puke on the lawn. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've been to the White House. I spoke there at the Capitol building. And, you know, I'm, I'm so thrilled and delighted to be who I am today. You know, I'm Mickey Bush. My name's Mickey Bush. I'm an alcoholic. I'm in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I know what's wrong with me and I know what to do about it. You know, and I didn't know that when I got here. And, uh, you know, of course I tell you, I, I'm the best Mickey Bush I've ever been. You know, 
In fact, I'm the best bush in town. <laughs> I said that in Washington just last week. <laughs> Some people agreed. <laughs> it was strange, though, because going back to the flag, I, uh, I don't know why I'm talking about this tonight, as a matter of fact, but... You know, I, I sat in the speaker's chair on the floor of the House of Representatives. It's your chair, you know, it's not my chair, you guys' chair. And I sat there and I was just looking out and at the folks and stuff and it was just, uh, just a, an honour. And uh, it suddenly struck me how, how ridiculous this situation was. Because I'm, like, I, I'm certified insane. I've been certified insane. I am nuts. I am, like, literally crazy. And here I am sitting in the speaker's chair on the floor of the House of Representatives. And it struck me as funny, you know. <laughs> wow, and I went into a laughing fit and I, I actually laughed so hard I slipped off the chair. <laughs> and there was congressmen around me and stuff and uh, one of them picked me up. He said, Mick, what the hell's wrong with you? I said, you'll never understand. <laughs> said, what? I said, like, I'm nuts. I'm, I'm crazy. How does somebody who's nuts get to sit in the speaker's chair on the floor of the House of Representatives? And he looked at me weird. He went, happens every day. See, <laughs> 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 just like my mum, you don't know this disease, see? But uh, you do, and that's why we're laughing, and that's why we're, we come here to share the language of the heart, don't we? You know, we come here to relate one alcoholic addict to another alcoholic, to, to relate one to another, and that's the gift we have, the power that we have here. You know, the language of the heart, H-E-A-R-T, healing, enjoying, and recovering together. And that's the language we speak here, don't we? That's why I said to it, give me a hug, man. I love those hugs. You know, today, when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I never knew how to hug. I didn't know how, you know, hugs, you know, you couldn't touch me in that way. Hugs today's H-U-G-S. Hugs help us get sober. And once we're sober, H-U-G-S, help us grow spiritually. You know, so keep giving us those hugs, guys. You know, when I got here, you know, the, the very first meeting I went to, I'd been 12-stepped. I wasn't a, a product of my own thinking. I know a lot of you guys say that your best thinking got you here. My best thinking never got me here. One of you guys with two and a half years of sobriety, 12-stepped my sick butt. And then that meeting, you know, a guy came walking towards me, a guy I knew, an English rock and roll singer, and I was a bit amazed that he was there, and he come over to me, and he put his arms around me, and I went, Oh, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? He said, I'm giving you a hug. I said, I don't do hugs. Let go, let go. Because, you know, about four years later, I went back to England. My dad was alive then and, uh, you know, it was time to make some of those amends and to uh, work these steps that you guys had taught me. And I, I went back there to, to London, England, knocked on my dad's door. He wasn't expecting me and he opened up the door and he stood there for a second. Is this going all right? Yeah. All right. And uh, I took a step forward and put my arms around him and, and he went, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, uh, I said, I'm giving you a hug, Dad. They taught me how to do it in Alcoholics Anonymous. 
You guys taught me how to hug in you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm, gla- I'm grateful. Thank you. Yeah. I've been given so much in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. How do I start? How do I start to give you back? I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. I got to Alcoholics Anonymous on January the 15th, 1983, down there in West Hollywood. Yeah. As I told you, broke, busted, disgusted, and not to be trusted. Yeah. I'd hit bottom that morning and I didn't know it at the time I didn't know what hitting bottom was all about and, and if you if you do I'm glad for you but you know there's something that's missing out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the program section of Alcoholics Anonymous the first 164 pages of the beautiful book Alcoholics Anonymous anybody read this book by the way? <laughs> it's a good idea you know but there's no mention of hitting bottom Hitting bottom's not even mentioned, you know, and it's a crying shame because it confuses a lot of people. And because it's not mentioned in the program, I think that a lot of people get confused over it. You know, but on, on January the 15th, 1983, I hit bottom and didn't know about it. And I didn't know about it at the time. And, and it's my belief that probably a lot of you guys don't know either. Though you think you do, like I thought I did, but I actually didn't. And in fact, I heard people at yesterday's meeting talking about how everybody's bottom's different. Better not be different. Not if we truly understand what hitting bottom is. But because we don't, we say things like everybody's bottom's different. It's different for everybody, and it's not. See? But on January the 15th, 1983, I hit bottom without knowing about it. See, on January the 15th, 1983, in desperation and despair, hurting so bad that I didn't know what to do or where to do it. Cigarettes. Try cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, hitting bottom, most of us think that hitting bottom is about the outside circumstances and conditions in our life, but it's not. Hitting bottom is not about the outside circumstances and conditions of our life, though we think they are because of our mentality that is materialistic, you know, worldly clamours and other things. And so when I ask folk, you know, about their bottom, they tell me about how far down they went and how much they lost and, you know, how far they sunk and where they ended up. And of course that's not hitting bottom, though they think it is, see. And if you, get, if you have a misconception about this, in, in, in recovery you hit bottom after bottom after bottom and get sicker and sicker and sicker. Because hitting bottom ain't about the outside circumstances and conditions. Hitting bottom's an inside job, not an outside circumstance. And, and you'd be amazed at what some of you guys tell me, because I ask. I say, give it to me, give me your bottom. What was your bottom? Give me roughly what your bottom was. You'd be surprised. I mean, people tell me, well, you know, I was feet to the curb, hustling the Broadway, trying to earn a dollar. Yeah. I was broke, busted, disgusted, and not to be trusted. I was locked up in a penitentiary, married to Bubba. <laughs> you know, and uh, nothing to do with hitting bottom. We think it is. Oh, the kids had been took away from me. I couldn't pay my child support. I was living in an abandoned car. All that stuff that we think is hitting bottom, it's not. 
and we get confused about that and so consequently we never totally hit bottom because no one seems to tell us and it ain't in the book see but I'm going to tell you tonight because you guys told me see hitting bottom ain't about the outside circumstances and conditions hitting bottom's that inside stuff that happened to me on January the 15th 1983 hope everything comes out alright are you alright? you alright? I want to get up, so I think I'll just get up, you know. I don't know whether to make an amend for my smart mouth or not. I actually want to insult people more. Perhaps it's this New York attitude I got, you know. Because <laughs> you would never dream of being insulting in New York, I know that, you know. But anyway, I, uh, on January the 15th, 1983, in desperation and despair, hurting so bad I don't know what to do, hurting just... I can remember without knowing who I was talking to and without knowing what I was saying and with not knowing what the outcome was, I can just remember going, help me, please, what is wrong with me? I can't stand it anymore. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> and ask for help. A-S-K, ask saving kit. Help, H-E-L-P, his ever-loving presence. I never asked for any specific help. I didn't ask for help with my finances or my relationships or my alcoholism or anything like that. I just, in desperation, asked for help. And guess what? It was almost like the old man was looking over my shoulder and he just seemed to say to me, Mick, you silly bugger, I've been waiting for you to ask. Now get yourself over to that AA meeting and send me to you. I asked for help and he sent me to you. That's why I know God and the power are different. I asked for help and he sent me to you. Because here was the power he provided for an alcoholic addict like me to not have to drink and drug anymore, which was restoring me to sanity. See, I, I'd been incarcerated and locked up and brutalised and chained down and shot up with tranks and zapped on electric machines. I've been locked up in places cuckoos wouldn't bloody fly over, man. You know what I mean? But that wasn't the insanity that you guys talked about. You guys explained to me that the insanity we talk about here is repeating the same behaviour and expecting a different result. Drinking! So if repeating the same behaviour and expecting a different result, drinking, was insanity, then to be restored to sanity meant not drinking. And so here was a power provided by God to enable me to not have to drink, which was restoring me to sanity. Wow. You think I knew that when I got here? I never had a clue. I was helpless and hopeless. I had no clue about nothing. I was so sick when I got here, I was so sick that I never knew I was sick. Do you know how sick that is? Do you know how sick it is to be so sick that you don't know you're sick? That's really sick. And if you're as sick as I was when I got here, and you come into a room like this, you know, good room of drunks it seems to me, a couple of hundred people here maybe more. 
you know, and you come in and you look around and you scan the room like we're experts at, and you think, well, at least I'm not as sick as him. <laughs> Do you know how sick it is to be so sick that you don't think you're as sick as someone else? That's really sick. <laughs> so if you're wondering in here today whether you is or whether you isn't a real alcoholic or not, I want you to know that I can relate to being as sick as you don't think you are. You're really sick. And I never knew. I never had a clue. You guys all seem to know, but I never knew. I do today. I just wrote a word sick. S-I-C-K. Spiritually ill can kill. Ooh. And that's how sick we are when we get here, aren't we? So spiritually ill. And we're dying of a disease that we often don't even know we got. I didn't. I never knew I had a disease. I never knew how ill I was. I never knew nothing about nothing. I thought I knew everything about everything. But I actually knew nothing about nothing. Till I got here. I mean, I'm a bloody expert on everything. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you're doing, I know about it or have done it or what. It doesn't matter because I know everything. When my butt's on a bar stool for six hours, I can talk about anything to anybody. I know everything there is. You want to know how the space shuttle blew up? I'll tell you. Because I know. Because I should have been on it, actually. I only missed being on it by that much, you know. In fact, I was drinking at the time, otherwise I would have been on it, you know what I mean? Because I know everything. But I actually knew nothing about nothing till I get here. See? I hit bottom on January the 15th, 1983 and walked on down to that meeting in, in, in West Hollywood that, uh, that I was guided to. Strange, strange, strange. You know, I walked out of this meeting and I got the message of Alcoholics Anonymous before I even got in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know that? Because I walked out of that meeting. Now, anybody here know West Hollywood? I know Debbie does, of course, and maybe one or two others. No, nobody else knows one or two here. Yeah. West Hollywood, for you guys who are not initiated, very special part of town. I'm sure you've got an equivalent West Hollywood here. You know, it's sometimes referred to as boys town. You know what I'm saying? If you're still not sure what I'm talking about, it's the kind of town where if you drop your wallet on Santa Monica Boulevard, you've got to kick it up to sunset before you can pick it up. You know what I mean? If you gay, don't get offended. No one cares anyway. But, you know, I walked down to West Hollywood, down to the Architects of Adversity meeting, and there's two dudes standing outside the meeting. And as I approached the meeting, now I've got to give you a rundown what we were like. I've just come off a three-day run. You know, I'm oozing booze and news from every pore in my body. I'm grey, dope sick, hurling, just antisocial, foreign, loud, aggressive, you know. <laughs> Definitely no bloody vision for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? As I approached this meeting, one of these dudes stepped forward with his hand out. I said, what do you want? He said, I want to welcome you to AA. I said, what? He said, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, what? And the other guy said, keep coming back. I said, what for? He said, we love you. 
I said, I bet you do. <laughs> when dudes tell you they love you and wear Hollywood, it takes on a new meaning, you know. I didn't know nothing about the, the love of one alcoholic for another alcoholic. It never ceases to amaze me ever since. I mean, I just described what I was like, the arrogance of the alcoholic. I just described what I was like. And yet here I am thinking these two dudes want to jump my bones. You know, some kind of bloody prize, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know. Yeah. I snuck round them and went in, you know. Guy walked across the room, give me the hug and wow. But you know what happened at that very first meeting? You know, I was 40 years of age. I'd been around a lot of places. I'd been incarcerated for a lot of my time. And, you know, I don't know whether I'd ever been told about, you know, having a problem or not. I, I mean, in retrospect, since I've been here, I've been back and, and inventoried a lot of stuff. And so a lot more has been revealed. But, I mean, at the time, I don't know nothing about nothing. <coughs> and uh, this guy in this meeting gets up in my face and he's like this far away from me and he must have had the balls of 12 men because you know I just described what I was like and and yet he had the confidence of his convictions you know he was standing up for what we do you know we carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers and you could see how suffering I was and it's amazed me for years since you know because I do the same thing I go up to new folk and, and, and they're always amazed. And I go up to them and I say, oh, my name's Mickey Bush, you're new, right? And they go, how do you know I'm new? You know, <laughs> you know just such like I was, you know. And this guy got up in my face and he went, you're alcoholic. I said, what? He said, you're alcoholic. I said, alcoholic? He said, you're an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic? You, you're an alcoholic. I thought that was bloody mean to say a thing like that. <laughs> say a thing like that to a dude. What do you mean? He said, you're alcoholic. I said, why did you say that? He said, because it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and sounds like a duck and smells like a duck. It's a bloody duck. Just because he's been taking some shit and thinks he's an eagle. No, you're a duck. You're a duck, I'm a duck. Quack, quack, he said. Damn. I'm all dazed and confused and dudes are going ducks and eagles and eagles, ducks and the hell's this? I thought it's a funny farm, you know. I didn't know it until years later afterwards. You know, he was actually telling me more was revealed. They said, keep coming back, more will be revealed. And it was. And he was actually telling me what it was about me that made me alcoholic. You know, the duck and the eagle story. And uh, and today I'm really grateful for that, you know. Because I ask folk today, you know, what is it about you that makes you alcoholic? You know, you said you were alcoholic. What is it about you that makes you alcoholic? Guess what? They don't know. Do you? See, I ask folk, what is it about you that makes you alcoholic? And they don't know. They, they tell me what they do because they're alcoholic. They endorse the fact that they're alcoholic by telling me alcoholic addictive behaviour about themselves, but they don't know what it is about them that makes them what they say they are. And so consequently, that's why one of the reasons that so many of us relapse down the road a little bit, 
because we haven't got the foundation laid, rock-solid foundation. Because in the beautiful book Alcoholics Anonymous on page 20, it says, if you are an alcoholic who wants to get over it, you may already be asking, what do I have to do now? So you've got to come from a space of being an alcoholic to then ask, what do I have to do? So there's a lot of work to do before we even get to the first step. And if you ask somebody who's gone before us, like I did, and I hope like you do, you know, they would tell you that if you're an alcoholic who wants to get over it, there's a way out that we can absolutely agree upon. It's a 12-step spiritual program, starting with step one. But admitting you're alcoholic is not step one. And so consequently, people think it is. And well-meaning people endorse that. I heard at a meeting down in Los Angeles, well-known meeting, a guy with 24 years got up and told the meeting that you do a first step as soon as you walk through the door and raise your hand as alcoholic. And of course, it's not the first of the 12. It is the first step in recovery, like page 30 says, we learned we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were alcoholic. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. See? So, by the way, there is nothing suggestive there about that statement. We learned we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were alcoholic. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. There is nothing suggestive about that. We had to do it and it has to be done. You see? And all that suggestion only crap that we hear around, you know, I think is killing people. You know, the book says of itself, our book is meant to be suggestive only. Well, it may have bloody well meant to be, but it ain't. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's got clear-cut directions, you see, in it, and what to do and how to do it. And one of them is we learn we had to fully concede to our innermost self. Now, if I don't even know what it is about me that makes me alcoholic, how am I going to fully concede to my innermost self? And if I skip past that, I'm not making good cement, am I? So I'm going to pay the price down the road, see? But this guy was telling me the story with the with the duck and the eagle. What it was about me that made me alcoholic. I didn't know it at the time, but I do today. You know, he was actually describing to me what it was about me that made me alcoholic. And what makes me alcoholic is not what I do because I'm alcoholic, like can't control and enjoy my drinking, once too many, a thousand, eight and a half, once I start, I can't stop. All that's true if you're alcoholic, but it's not what makes you alcoholic, it's, what, it's the result of being alcoholic. What it is about me that makes me alcoholic is that alcohol changes my perception of reality. That's what alcohol does for me. Alcohol changes me from a duck to an eagle. I go out drinking as a little duck, have a few and turn into an eagle and go swooping around looking for prey, you know what I mean? Uh, alcohol does that for me and if it don't do that for you, it ain't alcoholic. See? And, and I call it a nerd remover. Alcohol removes the nerdness. I feel like a nerd, I drink and I don't feel like a nerd. I feel like a nerd and I drink and I don't care if I'm a nerd. I feel like a nerd and I drink and you're a bloody nerd. Screw you, you know. Yeah. Or Mary in my home group, she puts it as well as I've ever heard anybody put it. She's this delicate little dudette. Bad-ass alcoholic. Oh. 
she says when she drinks, she feels wittier, prettier, and tiddier. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I know exactly what she means. You know what I'm saying? And that's, I never knew that in the beginning. I know you guys all seem to know that. You guys all seem to know so much more than I did when I got here. I mean, I never knew nothing. I, like, I hear you guys talking about why you drank. And you guys seem to know all this stuff. I never. I told you I'm from northwest London, you know, where my mum and family still live, and I go back there all the time. And, and when I was growing up, I mean, everybody drank. We never drank for a reason. We never had a reason to drink, and we never had a reason not to drink. Everybody drank. I mean, we drank if the team won, we drank if the team lost, and if it was a tie, we drank till there was a result. You know what I mean? Everybody drank, and they drank like me, or I drank like them. In fact, I used to say, I used to lean over, look, nothing's coming out my ear, so I ain't full up yet. You know, and, and, and <laughs> you know, everybody drank. Except them weird people who did weird things like talk to police and stuff. They didn't seem to drink like us, but we didn't bother with them. You know? I mean, I don't know. I hear you guys talking about why you drank. I heard people at this week's meeting go talking about they drank because they were covering up the pain and they drank because they were hiding behind their feelings and they drank because they couldn't stand who they was and they drank because they drank because they... And I thought, at what stage of the game did you discover that? I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine going into a pub and saying to the bartender, Oh, bartender, hit me with a triple sh shot of your best stuff because I can't stand who I am and I want to cover up the pain tonight, you know. <laughs> oh, Mr. Dealer Man, give me an extra rock because I really feel inadequate. I mean, you guys all knew that. I don't know that. I don't have a clue about none of this. You know? I'm just drinking and drinking. I don't know nothing about nothing. You know? You guys all seem to know about this. I don't know nothing about nothing. You know? And I get to Alcoholics Anonymous and I, I'm just crazy and I'm just insane. And I, you know, and I've got to tell you, you know, I never even... Look... I know people, look, I've got to tell you the truth and I've got to fess up. Look, look, I know people in Alcoholics Anonymous don't like hearing about drugs in Alcoholics Anonymous means, but you know what? Part of what I do is I've got to explain this stuff to you. You know, if you're an alcoholic who didn't do drugs, you know, I'm really glad you're here, you know. <laughs> you know, if you're an alcoholic that just and only drank alcohol, a specialist, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you're here, but I ain't no specialist, I'm a chemical gourmet, me, you know, I always drank, but I never only drank, I always drank, but I never only drank, see, I always did lots of other stuff too, so, you know, as I told my sponsor, I'm a chemical connoisseur, he said, no Mick, you're a chemical kind of sewer, is what you are, <laughs> that's what you are, <laughs> And, and so, you know, I get to Alcoholics Anonymous and I've been 12-step by an English rock and roll singer and, and uh, you know, I go to the meetings and, and, and I'm dazed and confused and they say, Is that your parole officer calling through? 
the only reason that I can imagine a phone going off. Unless it's your balls clanging together. Is it your balls clanging together? It takes balls to stay sober. Did you know that? B-A-L-L-S. Bringing about long-lasting sobriety. See? See, I'll get to Alcoholics Anonymous and don't drink no matter what gets said and things like that, you know. Don't drink no matter what. I mean, God. If I could drink no matter what, I wouldn't need to come here, you know. But anyway, I don't drink. I, I come to Alcoholics Anonymous. I never came here to quit drinking and, and you know, I never drank from the very first day. Still haven't. Not a drop has passed my lips. But you know what? That was January the 15th, 1983. But I don't celebrate my clean and sober anniversary on January the 15th, 1983 because for four months after I get to Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't hear things right. I got a hearing problem. I got selective hearing. I don't hear that it's all mind-altering chemicals. I hear alcohol, alcoholics, alcoholics, alcoholics anonymous, don't drink, don't drink, didn't worry me. Carried on doing all the other shit. I took a 30-day chip loaded to the gills. Yeah. But I'm not drinking in alcoholics anonymous and I don't hear that I'm not supposed to quit everything else. See? But you know what? There's an old saying around here. They say there's no greater pain for an alcoholic who relapses and has a belly full of booze and a head full of AA. But I'll give you worse pain than that. I'll give you worse pain than that, folks. You stick around these rooms and get a sober belly without a head full of AA. And you will hurt like you don't want to hurt. Alcoholics that just get sober become so painful that they have to drink again. Sober people drink again. Everybody who relapses do that stone cold sober. That's why there's a difference between sober and sobriety. S-O-B-E-R is how you spell sober. Son of a bitch, everything's real. S-O-B-E-R-I-E-T-Y is how you spell sobriety. Staying off booze, recovery is everything to you. There's a total difference between being sober and living in sobriety. Sober people drink again. So do powerless people. Powerless people drink again too. Anyway, I don't know what brought me up to that. But here I am in Alcoholics Anonymous, not drinking, doing all the other stuff. See? And I've got, I've got to like, tell you, over the last year and a half or so, I've spoken about seven or eight Ikipar conferences. You know what Ikipar is? Are you familiar with Ikipar? You know, the International Conference of Young People in AA. These are the young folks in Alcoholics Anonymous, the young troops coming up through the ranks of Alcoholics Anonymous. Young people, boys and girls. And one meeting I went to, a ten-year-old girl celebrated three years of sobriety. I just, two weeks ago, I did the o Oklahoma State Conference of Young People and the like, girl who led the meeting was 20 years of age and had six years of sobriety. These are the young troops, you know, 25 years old, got 10 years of sobriety. The young troops coming through the ranks of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. They're addicts and doing drugs long before they're even legally even allowed to drink. Long be even before they become full-blown alcoholics, they're already addicted to, to dope and other things. What are we going to do? Tell all... Oh, and I always ask the question at these young people's conferences. 
is there anybody in the room that just and only drank alcohol? And you know what? In eight conferences of International Conference of Young People in Alcoholics Anonymous, not one hand has been raised. What are we going to do? Tell them young troops to get out, go somewhere else, don't talk? Don't do that, folks. If you don't understand yourself, if you're an alcoholic that doesn't have this experience, guide them towards somebody like me or help us, because there's lots of alcoholics who've got a lot of experience in other areas too. So don't, you know, tell young troops to get out. You know, there's too many of them around. Too many of them don't understand. Anyway, I didn't. When I got here, I'm not drinking in Alcoholics Anonymous and, and I'm doing all the other stuff. You guys didn't kick me out. You must have known because I know when you are, so you must have known when I was. You know, in fact, you said keep coming back. And the dude who 12-stepped me, he came in off the road, he'd been on tour, and he, he came to that meeting, he took one look at me, and he went, Mick, he said, what happened to you? I said, what do you mean? He said, folk told me you were doing good. I used to call every day. They said you were staying sober. I said, sober as a judge. He said, you're off the wall. I said, what do you mean I'm off the wall? He said, you're whacked. I said, what do you mean I'm whacked? He said, what are you on? I said, nothing. He said, you can't be like that on nothing. <laughs> what did you do since you got up this morning? I said, I woke up. I smoked a doobie. <laughs> he said, what? I said, we had some good indica bug come in over the weekend. I always smoke a doobie before I get up. He said, you can't do that. I said, what do you mean I can't do that? He said, it's a mind-altering chemical. I said, no, it ain't. It's pot. <laughs> he said, what a dick. Keep coming back, he said, for Christ's sake. I said, screw you. It don't mean pot. It's alcohol. Alcoholics, Alcoholics Anonymous. It don't mean pot. I ain't got a problem with pot. I like pot. Anybody here smoke a little pot? Anybody smoke a lot? Yeah, no shit. Pot only does two things to me. It makes me horny, makes me hungry. Hungry. Nothing wrong with that. Well, some mornings you wake up with a sore arm and a bed full of pizza crust, but apart from that... <laughs> Oh, you do that sick shit here in New York, huh? <laughs> well, for the new folk in the room, I want you to know, in 19 years I've changed. I don't eat pizza in bed anymore. <laughs> but I do all that. I like speed crystal crank. Anybody here do a little speed crystal crank? Anyone do a lot? Yeah. Did it make your dick disappear too? Yeah. <laughs> you ain't going to read that in no Betty Ford manual. Oh yeah, fire up some crystal, your dick will disappear. I ain't going to tell you that. Uh, it's funny how the ladies seem to laugh at that. <laughs> All the dudes are going, not me, rock on Tommy. Uh, ladies are going, yeah, sure pal, yeah. But why I mention it is, is that I've got to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and I can't get any recovery at all if I'm taking any form of mind-altering chemical. And if there's people in pain here today and they're taking Vicodin and other things like that, be very, very careful regardless of where you get them from. The disease don't know whether you get them on a prescription or whether you score them on the street. You know, we've got to be real careful. In the beautiful book Alcoholics Anonymous, 
on page 86. It says our thought life will be on a much higher plane for after all God gave us brains to use. Well, I didn't know I was giving God the finger, but how could I describe it any other way but giving God the finger by taking a mind-altering chemical? You see, if God gave me a brain to use, he gave me a brain he wants me to have. He don't make no mistakes, he's infinite, you know. So if he gave me a brain, he gave me the brain he wants me to have. Well, if he gave me a brain, he gave you a brain. He didn't give me a brain, not you a brain, or you a brain, not me a brain. We're all his kids or he ain't his kids. You know, if you is, I is, and if I is, you is. And so he loves us all equally. So if he gave me a brain to use, he gave you a brain to use too. Well, what else would you call it other than giving God the finger by taking a mind-altering chemical? To me, it sounds like saying... Well, thanks to the fellowship and thanks for my recovery and thanks for my home life and thanks for everything in my life. But as far as that mind's concerned that you gave me, I don't think you did a very good job with it. I think I'll do a better job with it on my own, thank you very much. I think I want to change what you gave me by taking this mind-altering chemical. So what else would you call that but giving God the finger? Can't get any recovery here giving God the finger, see? by taking a mind-altering chemical. So yes, we're talking about alcohol, and yes, we're talking about alcoholism, but it has to include all mind-altering chemicals that affect you from the neck up. And if the first thing that springs into your mind is, well, what about my meds? Perhaps you need a new pair of glasses for one reason or another. See? And here I was, dying of a disease I didn't even know I had, in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, completely off the wall absolutely completely off the wall and you know what folks just give you a little bit of trivia because I hate all the controversy that goes on in, in AANACA see in 1953 in North Hollywood where I'm roughly from in 1953 alcoholics in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings started Narcotics Anonymous in 1953. don't know whether you know that or not. It was in an Alcoholics Anonymous, the old Radford group in, in North Hollywood, that Narcotics Anonymous was formed by Alcoholics in Alcoholics Anonymous. In 1983, actually the end of 82, beginning of 83, when I was coming around, half a dozen Alcoholics in Alcoholics Anonymous means were starting Cocaine Anonymous. See? Alcoholics in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings was starting Cocaine Anonymous. And I was blessed and grateful because Johnny, who was like the Bill Wilson of Cocaine Anonymous, I was with Johnny a lot. He was only about six to nine months clean at the time and, uh, and I was with him when he was writing out the format for Cocaine Anonymous. And he wrote down, we admitted we were powerless over cocaine and all other mind-altering substances. And I said, hey, Johnny, you can't write that. He said, oh, I can. I said, no, you can't. We've took a group conscience. We're, we're going to start Cocaine Anonymous, but we're taking it from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and from the Alcoholics Anonymous program because that's proved to work. I said, and like, you've written Cocaine and all other mind-altering chemicals. He said, yeah, and that's where I'm leaving too. I said, well, no, in Alcoholics Anonymous it don't say that. It says alcohol. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, not on all other mind-altering chemicals. He said, I don't care, I'm leaving it as well. I said, well, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and I don't drink, but I still do all the other shit. He said, yes, that's why you're bloody insane, he said. I went, what? 
He said, well, you're mental, you are, you're nuts, you are, you ain't got no recovery, you're doing all that other stuff. I said, it means everything. Yes, he said, it means everything. I went, wow. So I have these other programs. Four months after I get to Alcoholics Anonymous and stop drinking, I, I'm still doing all the other, hurting so bad. I'm insane, totally insane. See, an alcoholic started narcotics, Anonymous and alcoholics in Alcoholics Anonymous started Cocaine Anonymous. So I don't know why we had that conference, that conflicting interest. There's no real need for it. We've got to like leave all that mind. All I never even heard the term drug of choice till I got here. Anyway, my drug of choice, if I had one, was yours. Anything you had was my drug of choice, <laughs> and anything you had was my favourite. And that was usually followed by, "Is it good?" and "Will you front me some?" You know. And I've got news for you. You know, it don't just go away. Over here today, I was with Glenn Carr, told me, oh, there were some pastries and stuff like that. And I looked at all these pastries. You saw them all that over all that sticky shit that was over there. You know? And I was looking at it. Now, I, you know, this is not my inner child, you know? You know what I mean? You've heard of pins and inks. This is grab a foot, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I'm over there looking at all that sticky shit. And the sensible person in me said, you don't need none of that sticky shit. You got love handles no one's grabbing, man. <laughs> and the little boy inside me said, well, I like sticky shit. What about me? <laughs> what about me? I like sticky shit. <laughs> and then the alcoholic in me said, take six big pieces, grave it, get a plate, get two plates, what about... <laughs> oh you do that shit you got to be careful they say if you're laughing you're relating and if you're relating to a sicko like me there ain't no doubt about you pal <laughs> you see what I'm saying I don't know nothing about this I have no idea about any of this you know but I do today you know I never, I never knew I was powerless over alcohol. I don't know what that is. I don't know about a loving God or, or anything like that. I have, I was raised in a religion and, and that religion, that God of my understanding was a fearful, threatening, punishing God, man. You know, and you guys said, let go and let God. I said, what? They said, turn it over to God. I said, what? They said, pray to God. I said, pray to God? Are you nuts? If I pray to him, he'll know where I am. You know? <laughs> I've been ducking God for years, man. I mean, the God of my understanding that was going to strike me blind for playing with the old dingling, for Christ's sake. You, did you hear that? <laughs> oh, yeah. They said, don't you touch that, God will strike you blind. Well, you know I did anyway. <laughs> When I found out how good it felt, I thought, well, I'll risk one eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, be careful of that laughter, I tell you, yeah. But I don't know nothing about no loving God. I don't know nothing about nothing, for crying out loud. You know, I do today. I mean, I don't know I'm powerless over a disease called alcoholism. I don't know, like the first step says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. Specifically, I'm admitting that I'm powerless over alcohol. What does that mean? What does it mean to be powerless over alcohol? 
Well, I ask folk and they don't know. They can tell me that they is and they can tell me what they do because they is. But being powerless over alcohol ain't what you do because you're powerless. It's a, you know, most folk don't know. And a lot of folk ain't telling a lot of folk that don't know either. Usually because they don't know themselves. Hunchbacks, you let hunchbacks in here? You're a rotten lot laughing at it. You know, know, I don't know what powerless is. I ask folk, what does it mean to be powerless? They don't know. They tell me what they do because they're powerless. Same as the alcoholic, you know. I've got two parakeets in one of my houses. I've got sober living houses and and I've got two parakeets in one of my houses. And... uh, and a blue one and a green one. They're Bill and Bob is their name. And, uh, and I've trained them to speak. And, and, and you can stand by the cage and they'll screech out at you in a limey accent, I might add. They'll screech out, I'm an alcoholic! I'm an alcoholic! I'm powerless! Powerless! They're bloody parakeets is what they is. But they can tell you they're alcoholics and powerless, you know. I don't know what powerless means for heaven's sake, but I do today. You know, I ask folk, what does it mean to be powerless? They don't know. They say things like, oh, I can't control my drinking. Once I start, I can't stop. No, that's all a result of being powerless. That's not what powerless means. See, what does powerless mean? Well, think about it. Powerless equals no power. God equals power. So powerless must equal no God. So where, where alcoholic, alcohol and alcoholism is concerned, I have no God in my life when it comes to alcoholism. I got God in the rest of my affairs like Dr. Bob did. Remember, Dr. Bob was a praying fool. Dr. Bob was on his knees, Dr. Bob, you know, but he couldn't stay sober. He, he was a religious man, he knew about God in all his affairs, but he couldn't stay sober. And I could, because I was powerless over alcohol specifically. I had no God in my life when it come to alcohol. That's why I was helpless and hopeless. Powerless meant that I had no God in my life when it come to alcohol. That's why it's so imperative that we understand what hitting bottom is. Because hitting bottom is the process that brings the power back into your life. See, having been rendered powerless by this disease, the disease I don't even know I got, along the path of life, this disease I got had gotten me to abandon God and spirituality so that I end up with none. See, that's why I ask, well, where's that God that you know about? Where's that God of your understanding? That, you know, where was that God when you were laying in a gutter swilling drugs? and shooting up drugs and in detox. Where was that? Oh, well, I'd abandoned God, I'd put God on the back burner, or I'd turned away from God. That's strange, isn't it? You've got a God that you can turn away from and put on the back burner so that you can drink. Well, why can't you do that with the disease? How come you can't turn away from the disease so that you don't drink? That's strange, isn't it? I can turn away from God so that I can drink, but I can't turn away from the disease so that I don't drink. Wow. Well, the answer is very simple. You know, we all know that God gives us freedom of choice. He gives me the freedom of choice. I can choose the devil or the Lord, or I can choose right from wrong, or good from bad. 
but I can't choose to drink or not drink but I can choose to turn back to God and ask it for help and then he empowers me to take action so that I don't have to do what the disease wants me to do I can join up in the recovery process that's what hitting bottom's all about turning back to the God of your understanding and asking it for help having been rendered powerless that's why we're new N-E-W nothing else worked see if anything else had worked we'd have tried it wouldn't we see but I was powerless helpless and hopeless in and of myself it's really weird you know because you can check it out she's going to lay that bloody egg in a minute look. <laughs> but you know powerless everybody's walking around in AA saying they're powerless 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 over everything powerless over people places and things nothing to do with nothing being powerless over people places and things you know we're powerless over alcohol see and, and so I want to know what that is and, and people walking around going powerless 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 is only mentioned once in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and that's in the formation of the first step that's the only time powerless is mentioned in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous folks check it out if you don't believe me power is mentioned 65 times 65 times power is mentioned powerless is mentioned once and we're all walking around going powerless 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 New power has flowed in. On page 132, we have recovered and been given the power to help the next guy, praying only for knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. Power, power, power. All this power, and yet we're walking around going powerless. To me, it sounds like the disease is getting us to deny the power that's in our life. Why would we do that? We mustn't do that. We've got to get next to the power, make a conscious contact with the power, like page 55 says. See? not walk around claiming I'm powerless see but we do that don't we and, and, and that's usually because we don't understand I don't walk around claiming I'm powerless over alcohol today why would I do that you know in and of myself I was powerless in and of myself I was helpless and hopeless but I ain't in and of myself anymore the first step says we admitted we were powerless that my life had become unmanageable not that I am powerless and it is unmanageable see it's a past tense statement that so here I am, let's recap. I'm helpless and hopeless and I turn to God and ask it for help. It comes back into my life where I've abandoned it and left it on the back burner and, and turned away from it. Now it comes back and it sends me to you. God sends me here because here's the power that he provided for an alcoholic of my kind to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And we have absolutely no truck with anybody's preference along these lines. Whatever you consider God to be is absolutely okay with us. Though it does say on page 93 of the beautiful book, he can choose any concept of God he likes, provided it makes sense to him. And I ask folk, give it to me give me the sense that it makes to you give me the sense and understanding and perception you have of a power greater than yourself you know what most people can't because they don't truly have it though they say they do they may even think they do but they actually don't and so consequently it's not there between seven to ten years when the, the next biggest group of people in Alcoholics Anonymous drink and drug again after the first year which is generally referred to as the newcomer period the next biggest group of people who drink and drug in Alcoholics Anonymous is between 7 and 10 years and they drink and drug at 7 to 10 years based on what they never did at 5 years and what they don't do at 5 years is what they never truly learned at 2, 3 and 4 years as they thought they did 
believed they did and said they did. See? So we've got to do something about this. 95% of us ain't making it. 95% of us in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings are not making it over the long haul. That's far too big a, a, a deal, isn't it? So we've got to do something about that, haven't we? But here I am. Why would I say I'm powerless? I've turned to God, asked it for help, it sent me to you. Here's a 12-step spiritual fellowship, right? There's two Alcoholics Anonymouses, folks. There's the big book Alcoholics Anonymous that has the program, the 12 steps in it, and there's the fellowship Alcoholics Anonymous which has us in it, see? Okay, I've got about 10 minutes here, got to wrap it up. He sends me to you, 12 Step Spiritual Fellowship. You introduce me to a big book, B-I-G-B-O-O-K, Believing in God Beats Our Old Knowledge. In the beautiful book was a program, P-R-O-G-R-A-M, People relying on God, relaying a message. Message, M-E-S-S-A-G-E. Me, step, sponsor and God every day. It's a 12 steps program, S-T-E-P-S, solution to every problem, sober. It told me if you want to quit drinking and don't replace the drinking with something else that works, like the program, you go crazy, you go nuts. N-U-T-S, not using the steps. See? If you if, remember, we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it's too much just to get a sponsor. S P O N S O R, sober person offering newcomers suggestions on recovery. That's what a sponsor is. Why? So that I can stay sober. S O B E R, son of a bitch. Everything's real. See all of this now. So I, I turn back to God. He sends me to you, 12-step spiritual fellowship. You guys introduce me to a big book. In a big book's a program that we can absolutely rely upon. The book says, with this attitude you cannot fail. In the program, is a 12-steps program. You know, I've got a sponsor. I've got sponsorees. I've got so much bloody power over alcohol, I don't know what to do with it, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Powerless? You know, what you, I said to my sponsor, what should I do with all this power over alcohol i got? He said, give it away, he said, give it away. Go out there to New York, give it to them. They won't bloody want it anyway, don't worry about it. (laughs) Why would I walk around saying I'm powerless? I don't say I'm powerless, you know. I just spoke in Scottsdale, Arizona, and there a a, a dude came up to me, said, my sponsor don't uh, agree with you. I said, what a surprise. (laughs) Most bloody sponsors are useless anyway. We only observe. We don't criticise or judge. I said, what don't he agree with? He said, yeah, well, we all know what Mickey Bush says. Let him take a drink of alcohol and see how much power over it he's got. Ha, ha, ha. I said, did you hear the sound? He said, what sound? I said, the sound of a mind slamming shut to a new idea. He said, no, I never heard it. I said, get away from that old fart. He needs a brain transplant. If he's hearing that I'm saying that if I take a drink of alcohol I'll have power over it, he's nuts. I ain't saying that at all. But what I am saying is that before I take a drink, so that I don't take a drink, in order to not have to pick up again, I got the power to live a certain way so that I don't have to drink and drug over it anymore. And if I got it, you got it. And if you got it, I got it. Let's share it for crying out loud. You know, that's the power I got. In the first two steps, it don't mention God, Jesus, Buddha, Allah, Muhammad or any of the other nouns we use to describe it, does it? And my sponsor, I love my sponsor. You know, I'm a completely illegal person. 
My sponsor's a, an appellant court judge, a justice. Yeah. Gives me a cake every year, give him a hug. I never thanked a judge for nothing in my entire life. Yeah. But I love my sponsor. Yeah. He teaches me how to relate these principles to all my affairs, especially my personal relationships. Perhaps you don't have personal relationship problems here in New York, do you? No? All right. I wrote a word for relationships. See how you relate to it. R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P Really exciting love affair turns into outrageous nightmare. Sobriety hangs in peril. Can you relate to that? Oh, you do have that going on, huh? My telephone number, folks, I've got two telephone numbers. Are you clean? Are you sober? Is my two numbers. 818 area code. 818, not 800, you cheap bugger. 818. 818, are you, like Toys R Us, S-O-B-E-R. And 818, are you, C-L-E-A-N. And I'll give you those two numbers. 818, are you sober? 818, are you clean? You know, because that's what you did when you gave, when you gave me. When I got home from that first meeting... When I got home from that first meeting, I had two telephone numbers in my hand. And, and guess what? I called one of them. Now, I know you don't, but I did. So, therefore, I give you my number. And please call me. Some of you have. Some, and, and I enjoy getting your number. Wherever I am, all over the world or wherever I go, those two numbers, you can reach me. They're on the tape if you get one. Glad, glad I give you the tape. But... Yeah. Oh, you sell them. Okay. <laughs> See, when I got home, I called that number. I called one of those numbers, and a guy answered the phone. I said, I don't know who you are, pal, but I've got your number in my hand. He went, oh, I recognise your accent from the meeting today. I said, oh, were you at the meeting today? He said, yeah, I gave you the number. <laughs> went, oh. <laughs> Smart, thing, yeah. I said, what about them meetings? He said, what about them? I said, do you go to them meetings? He said, yeah. I said, can you take me to one of them meetings tonight? He went, normally I would, but tonight I'm going to a movie. I've made plans to go to a movie. I said, how long have you been going to them meetings? He said, four months. I said, what does that mean? He said, I'm four months sober. Oh, I said, all right then, don't matter. And he went, holy shit. Oh, I said, what's the matter? He said, you may have just saved my life. I said, no, I've never done nothing. I didn't know nothing about denial, D-E-N-I-A-L, don't even notice I am lying, you know. And, 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 he, and he said, four months and a newcomer wants to go to me and I tell him, no, I'm going to a movie. Holy shit, what's wrong with me? I said, what's the matter? He said, where do you live? I'm coming around to pick you up. I said, what about your movie? He said, you're much more important than a movie. I said, I am? My best friends had just told me to screw off. Here was somebody who didn't even know me telling me I was more important than his plans. He came round. I went out to his car. He was bloody weird as well. You know. <laughs> I went out to his car. He had a little Fiat sports car, but he had it all decked out like a Mercedes. It had a big emblem on it and wheels and shit, you know what I mean? <laughs> he took me to a meeting and got me one of these beautiful books, Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I, in the beautiful book, Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, like, we're not a gr glum lot. There's a lot of fun about it all, and we do a lot of things. My, my troops down there in uh, San Fernando Valley, we, 
we do things. And we had a little picnic back there in Balboa Park a little while ago, and uh, we all went. And I was walking around. And I saw old Zach in the in, in the in the picnic. I said, "Hi, Zach. How you doing, man? Good to see you." This was the guy who took me to the meeting. I said, "What are you doing on this side of the hill?" He said, "I'm speaking at the meeting." He said. I said, "Oh, far out." And guess what, folks? He's still four months ahead of me. See, it's a program of action, isn't it? Get into the action. It's the actions we take. It's the actions we take and we follow through in. It's a program of action. I love being an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I just love being among you. I never earned my seat here. I never worked for a start, but I just love being here. I love being involved. And I love being accepted by you as well. I ain't broke, busted and disgusted and not to be trusted today. I'm a very wealthy man materialistically. But the greatest wealth I got is the conscious contact that I got with the power. I hope you do too. You know, I don't know how to, how to end these little talks. But I think probably the best thing that ever happened to me was being welcomed at that very first meeting. When you said, keep coming back. We love you. And guess what, folks? Keep coming back one day at a time is not in the beautiful book, Alcoholics Anonymous. But please do it. God bless.